G'day and welcome to Property Australia's Favourite Obsession. My name's Jeremy Cowden and this is a podcast where we get to discuss all things property. And today I'd like to welcome back emergency physician, executive coach, surfer and avid investor, Dr. Jules Wilcox. Now, last time we caught up with Jules, we spoke about how having a high level of income does not guarantee wealth and that money and happiness are not related. This concept of mindfulness and that work-life balance is of the utmost importance. But today, we get to talk about the real fun stuff. Because I reckon every property investor has fantasized at one time or the other about being an international property tycoon. And that's exactly what Dr. Jules Wilcox has done. See, although Jules has got some highly speculative assets in his portfolio, the bulk of his money is invested in property. And he's built a fantastic property portfolio that spans the globe, producing income and a steady stream of capital growth. See, he's diversified his property, currency, and legislative risk. Now, don't be fooled by Jules' layback approach as his decision-making process is made with meticulous surgical precision. And it doesn't matter where you look across the globe, property is always driven by our five drivers. So I hope you're inspired by this episode and the opportunity that international property can represent. Property is such a diverse asset class and investors can approach it so differently. So Jules Wilcox, the property surgeon, welcome to Property Australia's favourite obsession. How are you, Jules? I'm good, thanks, Jeremy. How are you? It's lovely to have you back. Yeah, it's great to have you back again. Yeah, good to be back. So Jules, last time we spoke a lot about um, the mindfulness part, about how uh, money and wealth or income and wealth aren't necessarily uh, correlated um, you know how it's important to you to be on top of your goals and 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 make sure that you understand exactly you know your drivers of 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 why you want to be investing. Today, I thought we could go back and have a bit of a look at you know why property and and Jules's experience within the property market because it's been pretty unique, hasn't it? Um, I don't know, has it? Uh, maybe <laughs> we'll find out when Absolutely. people listen. Absolutely, I think every <laughs> everyone's got their own property story. So why don't we start with the question, Jules? as why property? Why did you choose property as an investment class? Um, it's my long game, but I only came to that ra- uh, rationalization or realization over a number of years. Um, so I initially came to property because I needed somewhere to live. Um, we'd, moved, we'd got married, uh, my wife from Scotland, we met in New Zealand, went back to the UK, and we got married and then we moved to New Zealand. And neither of us own property at that stage, uh, and I'm a bit of a mm-hmm. slow developer. Um, and so I was in my 30s, um, and we needed somewhere to live, so we ended up buying a house. And it was the first time, really, that I was going to be in one place that I sort of thought it was um, possible for me to really buy a house, because up until then, uh, I'd been doing medicine, and I'd be moving every six months to a year and so i never had an area where i could live in um for a long time is that because of the learning that's associated yeah. with yeah, you go from um, one job to another with... and things and you move around and, and, and that sort of stuff and i'd worked in south africa i'd worked in new zealand i worked in the uk and i worked in several places in the uk so when we moved to new zealand i was going to be on the emergency medicine training scheme i knew i was going to be in auckland for five years or so probably get a consultant job in auckland afterwards um and so it made sense to look at you know having uh, somewhere to live and not just sort of paying rent money all those years. 
and I was aware that property goes up over time, uh, but I, I never really thought I could, something I could do. Um, now, obviously, <laughs> with the retrospective only, I, uh, I knew back then what I know now. Um, I would have bought stuff <laughs> when I was way younger. I bought a sports car instead of a little flat in St. Ives um, back in 1992, I think it was. 90, no, maybe 93, 94. Um, mm. That that flat. What sort of sports car was it? Oh, it was just a, like an MX-5 when they first came out sort of thing, um, which is fine. <laughs> I uh, could see you banging around with the top down. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, you know, it, was, it was fun. It was, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I could have bought a flat in St. Ives for £19,000 instead of a MX-5 for like twelve or £13,000. And that flat in St. Ives now, I think, will be worth something like a quarter of a million. Um, so that's, that's irritating. Mm-hmm. But anyway. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so we got, got to New Zealand. I looked around for somewhere to live and bought a house, and that was the first thing. And that was that was a uh, not an investment decision. That was a, I want to live somewhere and I want it to be really nice. So we bought the house. It's probably turned out to be my best investment decision ever. That uh, purely by accident because that house has gone up so much in value in terms of in terms of dollar value. That is my best um, best investment ever. In terms of percentage value, not quite so much. Some of my cryptos are um, smash that into the ground, but um, it, yeah, it's still, I'm still up hun- hundreds of percent. So, yeah, um, yeah, which is really good. And on the back of that, then started reading around, and I think also New Zealand and Australia seem to have a much more of a um, a love affair with property as an investment class than say the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know anybody in the UK who owned lots of properties or you know thought of being doing that. And I mean, now maybe it's changed. I've been away for twenty odd years, so maybe it's changed with all the TV programs of you know, doing up properties and all that sort of stuff. But in New Zealand and Australia, I think there's much more of a um, much more of a, a love affair with property. And New Zealand has no capital gains tax as well, um, so it's a very very attractive um, investment uh, class. So anyway, so on the back of that, um, uh, we ended up buying a, a couple more places um, with the equity in, in the house because I bought the, we bought this house at the beginning of two thousand and three. So it was a good time to buy because it was really you know we we're coming into that second half of the cycle. Um, Perfect timing, isn't it? Yeah, Just yeah, it was, and, I, and I guess that's why it was you know it was luck, not judgment, because it happened to be. Um, that time in the cycle. And so I did realize I didn't buy it right at the end of the cycle, you know, so it's done mm, well. Mm. And in fact, we, where I live now in New South Wales, uh, we bought this in 2012. <laughs> and that's also been a very good yeah, investment. Right. You know, it's doubled since, since I bought it. And again, that was luck, not judgment, because, you know, I hadn't come across, oh, I'd just about come across Phil uh, Anderson uh, at that stage. And I wasn't totally believing him. I was still believing a lot of the media bullshit that, you know, property was going to crash and all this sort of stuff at the time, you know, um, over the next couple of years, but I wanted, you know, I needed somewhere to live and I could tell that this was a really good, nice place to, to live. Um, so yeah, so we end uh, in New Zealand. We, we've got four properties in New Zealand. Now we've got a house, uh, we've got a townhouse and we've got an apartment and we've got a, an unusual one, which is, um, uh, uh, it's an apartment, but it's on a commercial lease with the university for 27 years. So that's a pretty good one. Um, so yeah, so, so I got those, and yeah, that, they're they're doing really well. Um, they really very little time spent having to do that. And I'm time poor, as I said in the previous podcast. You know, I don't have lots of spare time. I don't want to be having to manage my own properties and do that. But I think one of the things I like about property is the, you know they're not making any more land. 
And if you look at mm. old wealth from families and, and things, then it's usually tied up in land and property. Uh, and so that's so probably has kind of evolved into being my end game, having sat down and looked at all my goals and my, you know, what I want to go in my life and all that sort of stuff, because uh, it's something that you can you can you can utilize as over the long term. You know, shares and companies and things. You know, companies go bust. You know, regulations change and all, all this sort of stuff. So I see that as a more shorter term investment class. And you certainly get a lot of survivorship biased in long-term equity graphs and that sort of stuff that you you don't tend to have anywhere near those sort of problems with um, with property. I mean, yeah. obviously the property can change, yeah. um, but uh, generally it um, you know it, it is a very good store of wealth over the longer term. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think the other thing about it is you know you can tweak it how you want it as well. So. You know, you could have it. Um, you can have short-term lets in, in in a property if you want. So, if you want to be able to use it to generate income, but also go on holiday somewhere, you, you can do that too. Um, you know, you can have a commercial thing. You can put it in different countries. So you can get currency hedging and you know, um, government regulation hedging. And you know, there's lots of different ways of playing it. So it's not just it's not just oh, it's all the same either. Um, so you can tweak it again depending on what you're what you're looking for. Um, I've always found that a really interesting point too, Jules, that, you know, from a risk point of view, that really there can be as much or as little risk that you want involved in property um, by just tinkering with your, the, the level that's geared. If you have you paid cash for a property, then obviously the, the underlying risk is quite low, mm. whereas if you've got it highly leveraged, then, you know, you've got a lot more volatility, et cetera. So, uh, again, it um, can make a huge difference, can't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, and that's one, of the, that's one of the good things I like about uh, properties, that you can leverage it, you know, so you can borrow um, against the equity and, you know, some of the other properties and, and leverage doesn't cost you very much. And obviously, if you make those gains, they are um, a lot bigger because because you've leveraged it. But you've got to do that, like anything. You, you've got to manage risk. You've got to uh, be cognizant of the risk that you're you're taking on, and you know know what to do if the mortgage rates change significantly and stuff. And you know, and that, that, so that happened brings in me Zealand, to a- actually. You know, at the end of the cycle, the rates went up to like ten percent on the mortgages. Mm. Now I had to do a, a lot of extra shifts to cover um, to cover those properties, but that was fine because I always knew that I could. So I was never in the situation where I was thinking, oh my God, I'm going to have to sell this at a loss. And that was just not going to happen. Um, mm. And, you know, now those properties are pretty much doubled in value. So it's all good. So do you ever sell? Um, I've sold, or I, I, my, wife, my, my wife's family had a property uh, in Florida, uh, which we sold, um, you know, some time ago. And that the reason for that was it was really just because it was a, a, for me it was a totally an economic decision. For my wife, there's a bit more emotion because they'd use that as a holiday home to go and have holidays on from the UK, and then um, you know then it was rented out as a, a thing, and my wife was managing that back in back at the time. But it was an awful lot of hassle for her. She had to do a lot of stuff. It was hard, hard trying to manage it from the other uh, the other side. So you've got litigation worries in the US and you know, people will lie and then try and sue you for stuff. And there was a pain in the ass. Um, but the other thing was that was mortgage-free, that property. Um, but we couldn't utilize any of the value of that because the American banks wouldn't lend to us because we didn't have any you know, residency or any other kind of thing in, in the US. Um, 
and the banks in uh, on this side of the world wouldn't lend to us because we this an overseas property. So yeah, they couldn't take security. You know, you, yeah, so you've got a couple of hundred thousand. It wasn't worth heaps. Really. I think it was worth a couple of hundred thousand US or something like that at the time. Um, and interestingly, my my wife's father had bought it, but he bought it during a real the, in the winner's curse phase. So he'd he'd pay mm-hmm. um, a little bit more. I think it actually. Okay. I mean, it probably got back to where it was, but at one stage, I think it was worth about double that. But then it had all you know gone down a lot. Yeah. Um, and we thought about, well, do we do we hold on to it and wait for the next phase and all that? But then building a lot more, um, a lot more estates, you know, homes around Orlando for Disney World and stuff, and they're newer and they've got more. Yeah. Anything. So, so you're then competing against that. So, you know, we sat down and we looked at the numbers, and I said, look, if 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 we if we were to sell this, um, we're paying well, whatever the interest rates were, only five percent or something on our home mortgage. And I have to earn, you know, more than that because I have to pay tax yeah, on my income. Pay tax, you pay so, so you're looking at, you know, home. I've got to earn eight to ten percent. Oh, you basically, you know, it's eight to ten percent really. Once you take that into account, uh, I said, even if we do nothing other than just chuck it into our mortgage, then we're going to be better off than holding it. But I think that if yeah. you give me some of that money. To invest, I can significantly outperform what we're making out of it now. Uh, I said, plus it frees you up to do some other stuff. You don't spend all this time getting stressed and and, and doing that. So there's there's an emotional factor there to a you know, peace of mind type thing. And so we made the, we made the decision to sell it. And I, I think it was I think it was the right decision. Um, uh, pretty I'm pretty happy. That's the only one we've sold. I haven't sold anything else. And well, to deploy capital to pay down non deductible debt makes a lot of yeah. sense. Um, and it makes even more sense if you're going to then redeploy that capital again in a leveraged situation where you can uh, control it. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. You know, you, 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 you've got to be well and truly ahead, don't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, so so that's the only thing that we've sold. I have some other properties um, that I probably I'm going to sell at some point. So. I don't really want to sell the ones in New Zealand. That's not in my long-term plan. I'd rather, I've, I've got a couple of properties in Mexico as well. Um, so so why Mexico, Jim? <laughs> How did that come about? Because uh, I like tequila. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Uh, I, won, I won a bit of money. I you're a whiskey man. Well, uh, yes, I, that too, I know. Um, and my wife's Scottish, so, you know, we've got a house over there. It belongs to our family, but that's fine. Um, but it's it's near Isla, um, so that's that's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, um, yeah, I won a bit of money playing poker, um, and it was in US dollars. And so I was thinking, oh, what do I do? I bring it back over here, um, or do I invest it uh, and things? And I've always been sort of a bit at the, at the time, you know, with young kids and and things, but not really going away anywhere too much with school holidays and that sort of stuff. So we can't travel and do that so i've got i've got not not really got a problem with delayed gratification and and waiting for something and putting something saying well you know if we got 10 years and then that grows and we do it there can be plans when the kids are a bit older and we can maybe travel a bit more and stuff like that yeah there in carbo which is one of the places um and and but i guess by this time as well i i you know i spent a, a bit of time uh coming to 
uh, to see Phil uh, and things. And I think I'd got my head around the, you know, the economic rent and land taking all the gains. So I was, the way that I looked at my investments and what I was doing had changed quite radically from just going, you know, in the early years, oh, I need somewhere to live. And oh, that seems like a good idea. And so it was a bit more nuanced. Yeah, and, pro- and property sort of goes up in up in value, but not really understanding why. why. Yes. Uh, whereas now I do get it. So so in Cabo down at the, um, down in Mexico on the West Coast, um, you know, it's traditionally a sort of a jet set Hollywood, jet set kind of place um, and some really smart hotels. And, and But it was pretty exclusive and there wasn't a lot else, but they've started developing that hugely. And there were something like slated, like this is a few years ago, but slated was about $4 billion worth of infrastructure and 17 major resorts building big hotels and mm. putting in all this stuff. And they've built, you know, uh, tennis stadium so they now have a, an ATP sanctioned event over there and just the whole thing was changed the airport was being upgraded all this stuff was happening and one of the things yeah, that they wow. weren't doing was they weren't really building any accommodation for the middle management type people yep. who are going to work in all yep. of those industries it was a huge yeah. growth area so there was this development that I became aware of and um it was really. It looked like a. It looked like a, a very well planned, very good quality sort of development, which um, you, you could um, put, you know, sort of five thousand down, and then another five thousand, and pay over as it was built over time. If you needed to, you could yep. get develop a finance at sort of you know like fifty fifty percent of the price of the thing as well. Um, and so really it was building, it was buying something specifically to target a market that there was obviously a supply shortage. There was probably going to be an awful lot of economic rent growth because of the infrastructure that was going around. Um, yeah. And, you know, as I say, and it's like, yeah, I do like tequila. I love Mexican food and things. And it's like, well, you know, this is going to, this has got a good yield on it. Um, mm-hmm. This gives me a currency hedge as well, because this is all in US dollars. So, yeah. Um, you know, if the Australian dollar goes crashing down again, um, then proportionally I'm, I'm doing better. Um, yes. And um, so I looked at doing doing that. And, you know, it's something like maybe maybe in 10 years' time when the kids are growing up, we're going, oh, I want to go and spend a few months in Cabo? Well, I can. Um, yeah. And so it ticked a lot of boxes, a lot of different It spreads the risk. I don't want to have all of my properties in Auckland. Um so, um, I think that's a really good point, actually, the spreading the risk, because at the end of the day, you know, most people struggle to, um, you know, not buy in their own suburb, let alone buy in a different state, whereas, you know, you're spreading your risk even further across, you know, different continents. Yeah, yeah. And I've got another one as well, but that's a very different, that's a short-term rental in Tulum. Uh, it's an apartment in Tulum. But again, it's... There's a huge amount of growth down there. It's gone sort of um, Cancun down to Playa del Carmen, and it's heading down to Tulum. And there's a biosphere around there that can't get any further. It's getting bigger and busier and all that sort of stuff. So again, it's that economic rent factor. Um, but there's a short-term rent rental. Part of that one is you're part of a, a system where you can agree to do an apartment swap with people in that system. So if, you know, somebody has an apartment in Rome and they want to go to Mexico for a couple of weeks, you can say, well, you can use my place and I'll use yours for a couple of weeks. So that's, that's quite nice for a, like a retirement thing. But again, it's currency hedge. It's on the other side of Mexico. It's a completely different place. Um, so there's different 
things like that, you know. Um, so, yeah, and I'm looking to buy a place in Panama um, at the moment as well. In fact, I've got to just sign a contract today. Um, but there's a different reason for that as well. Um, I mean, again, it's economic rent, path of progress kind of stuff where there's a lot of infrastructure going in. But the Panamanian government at the moment have introduced a, a law where because they want to stimulate tourism coming out of COVID and so forth, it, where if you buy a property and agree to rent it out as a you know, tourist sort of thing for at least six months of the year for the next five years, they're giving you um, a big tax break, which on the price of a you know, $250,000 US dollar um, apartment type thing, you know, it knocks 65,000 off the price, which changes the yield dramatically. Um, yeah, you yeah, know. yeah. And that, because that's only just come in, I don't think that's been priced into the land yet. I don't think the land has taken that gain yet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Whereas yeah. give it a year. Especially as I say, with the uncertainty with COVID, yeah. it's going to slow things down a little yeah, bit. But yeah. Give it a year. And what's going to happen? All those apartments and things will be $65,000 more expensive because that will be priced in, yeah. you know? Um, and probably then some as well. Yeah. So, so, so that's you know that's good, but then again, that's another kind. It's that's the same country as U.S. dollar, but um, that it's a different country, um, and that's like the Singapore of uh, of Central America, really Panama, but it's pretty safe, um, and so forth. Um, you know, I want to buy somewhere in Portugal. Um, plan to do that this year because the Portuguese banks are lending for thirty years at about one percent, and they'll lend ninety percent of the value, sometimes more if it's a foreclosure or something like that. So. You know, you can put down forty thousand euros and end up with a the house of four hundred thousand euros, uh, which your your rental will massively cover your um, your expenditures if you're buying in the right area. You know, and there's a lot of you know, I mean, I know I know Portugal quite well. We spent a lot of time over there when uh, when I was based in the UK, and I love it there. And I really like Port as well. I mean, there is a theme here, but you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so there, and then that, and then that'll give me euros. So that'll um, That'll be another currency hedge. Uh, that'll give me a place to go if I, you know, my family's still in the UK. We could perhaps rather have to meet in the UK. If we're going over in the winter, we could go and stay in the house in Portugal. Type thing. So there's there's lifestyle factors, there's um, investment factors, there's currency. You know, there's a whole heap of different reasons why why I'm choosing those things. Um, so Jules, before we go into the risks associated, how do you how do you source this sort of stuff? How do you how do you become aware of what the Panamanian government's <laughs> um, so got off? How do you reading, how reading do you, around you know, Portugal? Um, yeah, reading around and, and just looking around at, at things and stuff. Looking at some um, you know, on the internet, looking at some real estate stuff. Um, having come across uh, you know an, an advert or something, then oh, what are what are those? What's that? That homes over there, you know, worth and things like that. And they think, okay, and that's the other thing, you know. You can buy in other places in the world. You can buy property for a fraction of the price that you can in Australia, and in 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 Europe now. I mean, there are lots of places in you know Italy and France where Spain where where they're not that expensive. You know, there's a you know, it's, again, it depends what you want out of it. So those sorts of ones you won't necessarily may not be able to rent out a lot because they're in a lovely hilltop village, but there's not a lot going on there because a lot of the people are left for work yeah. and stuff like that. But if you don't mind, I saw one. It needed a bit of work, but it's in the Pyrenees. It's this little old stone house, twenty nine thousand euros. 
You can put that on your credit card. I mean, if that goes totally belly up and goes to zero, who cares? You know, it's a, but but you've got a little cool place to go and you know hang out in um, and stuff. So I guess it's just looking at things from a slightly different angle. You know, um, as I say in the last one, you know, is success is how you define it. I think for your own, if you do it on your own terms, then you can always be successful. Um, yeah. You no, know, I don't need yeah. the penthouse apartment in Sydney. Um, I, I like going to you know quirky little places and traveling and doing stuff like that. So it's it allows me to to do that. There is a there, there is a thing called Real Estate International um, um, Real Estate Trend Alert, which I, I subscribed to, and, and I got the link through. I think it's an offshoot of Port Phillip Publishing, which obviously you know. And I, I'm a little bit wary of some of the things, um, but one of my one of my things I got through there, and that's worked out really well. So. Um, but it does also just flick up little things where you go, oh, okay, handle that. And then you can get, it gives you, you can go and investigate things on your own outside of that as well. So, um, yeah, so you can get, you know, contacts with real estate agents in other countries and then you can go, okay, well, maybe I'll go and see what's going on over there. Um, so what's your biggest concern investing overseas, Jules? What worries you? The, what, what's the, What's the biggest risk you've got to tick off? Uh, I think it depends how you're investing. If you're buying something that's already built, then obviously that's, but if you're buying something that hasn't been built, then you've got the whole developer type thing. That would be the biggest concern. I think if things don't go according to plan, you know, can you get your money back and all that sort of stuff. Um, dealing with ongoing rental type things and getting, not getting stiffed by somebody. Um, you know, in fact, that happened to my wife's father on the, on the, in the Florida property when they had that, um, that somebody was you know, saying it was empty, but clearly just renting it out and keeping all the money themselves and, you know, and stuff. So you, there's, there's things like that. It's not as easy to keep an eye on. And I think there can be cultural yeah. differences um, with stuff as well. So yeah, you need to, you need to sort of, um, you know, how easy is it? If something goes, partners, yeah, it's, it, how easy is it going to be to fix something if it really goes wrong and get lot, you know, needing to get lawyers involved, I guess that would be the biggest thing. Um, what about security of title? Does that concern yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yes, you want to you want to be buying in places where you, you can get security of title as well, um, and where you know. So a lot of yeah, so you're not going to buy in China, for instance, <laughs> and <laughs> and things. So or yeah, Russia. What or what? <laughs> or Russia? Yeah, yeah, probably. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> things can go missing in there, can't yeah. they? Uh, so you know, and I guess I guess there are there are some more risks, but I think you know they you can offset other risks as well by doing it. So, um, yeah. It's- You're right with regards to that. I mean, the diversification that um, you can create across continents, currencies, legislative risk, even segments of the markets, the sort of style of uh, of accommodation that you can have on offer within your portfolio. I mean, it does give enormous levels of diversification, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And look, one of my, one of my rules is that if I'm thinking of investing in something, then... You know, if that invest in the, if that investment goes to zero, is it going to have a big impact on me? And if the answer is no, then I'm yeah. pretty comfortable with that. And you know, and um, I'm fortunate enough that I've got to the stage now where, um, you know, if any of the individual investments went to zero, I don't think it would really matter. Um, you know, right back at the beginning, you know, something I'm obviously I had insurance, but if something happened to my house, <laughs> then that would have had a big, yeah. much bigger yeah. impact than now. Yeah. Um, so you know, things change over time, and that's as as you build your portfolio of things and as you build your your wealth it gives you more options as they said you know the rich get richer 
and it gives you more options to, to do things. So, um, yeah, I think it's about embracing risk and it's only a risk if you don't know what you're dealing with, really. I th- you know, yeah. Um, there's, yeah. There's, there's a lot more risk perhaps in, um, you know, people say cryptocurrencies are risky. Well, not really if you, if you, you know, don't overextend yourself and, you know, the, the, the gain, the potential gains are huge. Um, you know, if you had a thousand dollars. The problem and- is though, Jill, the, the problem is, is that most people do it all the reverse. I mean, when you think about your story, you've started off with a house in New Zealand, then you've put some quality, um, you know, we would call them foundation assets around that house um, in some properties in New Zealand. You've got some property in Australia yeah. and then you've diversified out uh, again across the world. And then so cryptocurrencies, you know, as a percentage of portfolio and risk is, is you know, very, you know, it's minute for you. Whereas most yeah, people anymore, start but... <laughs> with a little bit of cash. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but most, most people start with a little bit of cash and they go balls all for, um, you know, cryptocurrencies to um, make them a squillion dollars so that they can then create some foundation assets. Yes, okay. Yes, I see, exactly yeah, I see what you're saying in that sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, you start, off, you start off small, you grow it, you then leverage that um, and you Correct. get some gains and so forth and you gradually build it and build it. And, you know, it's going to be a 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 year process. If you're trying to do it in a year, then yeah, you well, you are going to be taking on too much risk. But it's like anything, you know, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And um, yeah. the higher the reward, the greater the risk. Uh, but you, there are ways of mitigating that. You know, that's why you have stop losses on shares and things like that. You know, you've got to have you've got to have your your exit point, your get out point. Know what you're getting into to start with. You've got to, you know, managing your risk. If you you know you read the market wizards share books and things like that. The one thing all those guys do is they know their risk. They manage their risk. Mm. Yeah, you've got to, yeah, you've got to have um, chips to be in the game. Yeah, you lose all your chips, you can't me, play the game. Exactly, longevity is the key to this. If if you've got some longevity, then you will make the money. That's um, uh, that is exactly right. Yeah. So, Jules, you get to travel a fair bit, both work <laughs> used to and, before COVID. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, we've all been away on holidays and fantasized about buying a property in the location that we're holidaying in. Um, you know, have you, you know, how, how do you, how do you stop yourself with that, you know, just that fantasy of, of, um, uh, of wanting to be involved in living the dream rather than making it actually a disciplined investment approach? I mean, when you're looking, scouring the internet and you, you know, you see a, you know, a, a, 100, 200 year old, you know, little stone villa and perched on top of a hill that you think, geez, wouldn't that be fun to, you know, go and spend some time drinking some red wine there? Yep. I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you put the, how do you differentiate between the dream and the disciplined approach to investing? Um, it's got to be kind of easy and practical for starters. Um, you've got to know that you're going to want to spend time there again and again if you're going to be thinking about going there to live in that, in that thing. If, if you're not thinking about that, if you're just thinking, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not thinking I'm going and sitting on top of the hill watching the sunset, drinking wine, and then it's easy. It just becomes a numbers game and a, you know, it's a logistics game. And yeah, you know, do I, do I, do I, how am I going to work out if that's a good, but how am I going to do my due diligence and stuff? Do I have somebody there who can do that for me? Can I get somebody to go over for me and do it? Do I have to go myself? You know, can I do that or not? And, and there's multiple times when I thought, oh, that would be lovely, but you know what? That's just too hard. I, 
you know, yeah. I don't know anybody. I don't know. I'm buying. I actually need to go and investigate the area. I'm going to have to take a month to go and look around. So, can you do really good research and stuff? And I guess it it goes back to that whole thing, asking about goals and things as well. You know, what, what? Why am I buying this? What am I? Yeah. What am I doing it for? You know, again, if I buy a place in Portugal, if I never spend one day in that place, is it? Am I still going to be happy owning that? Uh, if the answer yeah. is yes, then great. Okay, then I'll then I'll go ahead. But if the answer is no then it's not a good investment. Yeah. Um, so investment thing is sort of probably, you've got to be a bit clinical about it, I think, and just go, okay, why am I buying this? And, you know, the numbers have to stack up and you have to be able to do all the logistics. You have to know that you can do your due diligence, that you're going to be able to rent it out and who's going to manage that and how is it going to, how much time is it going to take and so forth. So it, it, it can be quite hard to get all those things ticked off in a row. Um, you know, there's other ways of doing it. You could buy, you know, you just buy a bit of land somewhere and just go, well, I'm just going to leave that. And then it's got no, there's nothing I need to do. And then should I retire uh, and want to spend some time, maybe I'll build something over there as a project. Yeah, there's another way, that's another way of doing it. And so, you know, but still get the capital gains of the land if, if you want to go down that route. But I think it's been clear about what you want out of it, what your time frame is, and then the logistics of how you're actually going to do that um, safely by, and control your risk and so forth. So, um, yeah, it's sort of, it's all very well sometimes thinking, oh, this will be great. But um, real life has to intrude at some point. And I think it's important not to get too caught up and just, you know, be able to take a step back and go, okay, well, let's really write this out and write out, write out the pros and cons and work out how we're going to do this. Um, it's a bit like, you know, when I went to New Zealand, I first went to New Zealand in 94 um, and just traveled around it in six months and, um, I took six months off work and bought an old Ford Escort and drove around the whole of New Zealand surfing. And it was, it was just fantastic. And I loved it there. And I really loved it. And mm. I was actually offered a job there, but I said no, because I had a job lined up back in the UK that I really wanted to do. Um, and then I was also fully aware at the time that, you know, when you're on holiday, it's very easy to love somewhere. It's very different when yeah. you have to live and work yeah. there. So yeah. um, I thought, well, I'll, maybe I'll come back one day and, and work there. And I did, maybe about four Four years later, um, after working in South Africa, um, I wanted a bit of a chill out phase after working in Joburg trauma unit for a year. And um, so went back to the west coast of New Zealand in North Island Taranaki, which is a beautiful spot with really good surf and worked there for a year. And then towards the end of that year, it was like, I don't want to leave here. <laughs> but yeah, they changed the yeah. registration rules and doctors. So I had to at that point. So I went back to the UK. And then they changed it back again just after I'd done all the exams that I thought I needed to do. So uh, back I went, <laughs> do a load more exams. <laughs> um, um, but then I, then it was a very comfortable decision because I'd, I'd explored it. Uh, I spent a bit of time, you know, I'd, I'd seen the other aspect of things and I don't regret that move at all. So, so yeah, I think it's, yeah, having that awareness that um, holiday, holiday is great, but it is a holiday. It's very different when you are living in a place or, you know, dealing with all the other stuff that goes with it. I think that's a really important answer though, Jules, because, um, you know, someone could take what you've said earlier, you know, that you're a little bit flippant about, you know, Portugal, Panama, Mexico, New Zealand, you know, let's just, you know, put a, a map of the world up on the wall and we'll throw some darts. And if it looks like a nice place to go and have some fun, let's, let's go and look, check it out. But mm. you're actually much more calculating than, than yeah. that. You, you actually, there's actually a lot of, 
process, a lot of thinking and a lot of check boxes and, and due diligence that actually goes on here um, before you even get to that point of, yeah, um, you know, like for your, instance, um, you know, it would be lovely to have, um, you know, a batch in New Zealand, you know, that's a little holiday home uh, in New Zealand. But it makes absolutely no economic sense to do that um, because the property yeah. price is such that you, it, it's going to be very hard to rent it out um, and and make a decent yield on it. You're far better off owning a place in, say, Brisbane, um, which is going to be minimum hassle, lots of economic rent gain because of all the infrastructure that comes, you know, is getting built up there yeah. and things. And I've just I have bought a place in Brisbane last year. Um, and... And then using the rental income from that to rent a place, which is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And that was one thing yeah. I remember when you came and did a talk for my juniors on time um, who were in the situation that I was years ago when I bought the sports car. And you came up with this thing of, you know, rent a lifestyle, um, but, um, you know, continue develop your investment yeah. portfolio at the same time. And that was a, a sort of an aspect of things I hadn't really thought, which is why I was so delayed at getting into all of this, that... Um, you know, you you can rent your lifestyle in more ways than one, but build yeah. all your investments and your your long term wealth um, as you go. And yes, you have to control your cash flow and stuff, so you don't rent you know an absolute mansion when you don't need it type thing. But you, you can still you can still use that uh, approach quite successfully. Um, so. Absolutely, that whole rent a lifestyle, buy an investment. That that is, it is, it is. You can use that on so many different levels, as you said. It, not just you know your own home, um, where you holiday. I mean, there's lots of different ways that you can, you can use that concept. Yeah, a bit um, like the Lambo is, that my kids wanted me to buy with the cryptos. You know, it's like no, but I'm not going to buy a Lambo. <laughs> but you know, if I wanted to have a lot of fun, I might, uh, I might rent one for the day or for the week or something. And and to be honest, you'll get more. It, you'll get more happiness and enjoyment out of it probably by doing that because you'll be, it's temporary and it's brief. And so you focus on the experience and, you know, experiences are what gives memories and, and so forth. Whereas if you have it for ages, A, or that, that uh, novelty factor goes away, but then the transmission goes and then, you, you know, then it becomes a hassle. Whereas you've got it for the day. You've got to walk past it every day and think that bloody car sitting there, all that money tied up, going down in value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so, you know, um, so absolutely, I think, you know, you can be, you can be very smart at uh, using that rent a lifestyle thing if you want. And actually, and actually, if you focus on, you know, sort of, uh, some of that presence in the moment type thing and the experience of why you're doing things you, you can probably get an awful lot more out of it than um yeah than by yeah. you know de- taking the opposite approach so how do you finance these things jules um how difficult is that it depends it, i mean the place i bought in brisbane the last year was it last year actually probably it was probably the end of the year before that was crazy difficult because yeah um yeah. the whole banking thing you know we're getting done over by the hain report and they really yeah. tightened up. I and mean, I had to sit down. So, so I had to sit down uh, at one stage and go through with the banker every single transaction in my bank account for the previous three months. And it's like, mm-hmm. are you serious? You know, yeah. um, because they were so scared of getting done over uh, and all this stuff was coming in. And, you know, and I found it, I found it you know, really quite um, irritating. And I mean, I... You know, the bank, the old style banker, he basically used to be a judge of character and yeah. would decide on, on things. And then yeah. that's, that was their, 
that was their function was to be a democrat and, and it was all about it was all about trust really you know am i are you going to pay me back the money that uh, i am lending you because you need it to build your business or your whatever it is uh, and things have changed now and especially with fractional banking and 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 so forth and we saw that with the gfc and the subprimes about you know just banks making money and oh, we see it every every cycle but but it, it, it's obviously being magnified more and more and technology is allowing it to magnify more and more, I think, as well. And so it was really hard and it took nearly six months to get a, a loan approval, <laughs> which, you know, I can I can double my income if I want by doing extra shifts. I have a very good income anyway um, and I have a lot of yeah. assets. And it was just like, yeah. wow, if I'm struggling to get finance on this, what the hell else is going on? So you're thinking, well, the, and then when you see that and you know where we are in the cycle and you think, wow, when that goes away, mm-hmm. the property market's really going to boom. And there's not going to be a lot yeah. of bad debt around at the moment. It's all the stuff that Phil's saying, you know, don't worry, the property market's not going to You can see why. If you, if you get where he's coming from and you get the economic rent and how it all works. And then, of course, we get COVID. And then the government chucks however many billions into the economy. And you think, well, where's that going to go? Yeah. And then they dismantle all yeah. the recommendations of the Hain report. And you think, right, time to buy another property because this is going to go gangbusters. Yeah. It is going to go crackers. And, and yeah. it's, it's the perfect storm for a lot of things. I mean, there's so much money washing around, not just here, but I mean, in the US and the UK, everyone, every government is chucking billions and billions of dollars of things. Um, and a lot of it is going to be infrastructure related because they're trying to build their way out of recessions and things, obviously like they've done before. Yeah. And Australia digs yeah. up most of itself and sells it to countries to do that. So, you know, Perth should have an awesome second half of the cycle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Australia's economy should do extremely well in the next few years. And all this money that's floating around has got to go somewhere. And it's uh, going to go into stocks, I think. It's going to go into property. And it's also the perfect storm for cryptocurrencies as well. I think Bitcoin is a store of value because the US dollar has fallen, what, 10% in the last month or so? Last month or two? You know, really, it's if you look at the charts for the, for the euro dollar, it's completely changed. And I think the, euro, the US dollar is going to fall in value quite a bit over the next, uh, over the next few years. And... Um, You've got a global pandemic. You've got governments printing money left, right, and center. You've got all this unease. It's the perfect storm for Bitcoin. It really, really is. And you've also got uh, institutions getting involved now because they're uncorrelated assets. And you know, if you get something that goes up three hundred percent in a year, you don't need very much of that in your portfolio to massively skew your portfolio returns. So, yeah, yeah. you know, all these things are pointing to a really good boom coming up. And yeah, I, I want to be on. Uh, I want to be on all of them, position myself so that I can, I can take advantage of them. Um, Couldn't agree more. I mean, the second half of the, as you said, the the, the debt that's ready to be relieved and, and, and created in the economy is just huge. The the lending requirements that you're talking about, certainly, you know, you probably when you when you purchased that Brisbane property was almost when they're at their worst, I would say. Yeah. Um, the requirement, the banks were just, as you said, off the back of the Royal Commission. Um, you know, there was a lot of restrictions on the banks, etc. Now we've had the lifting of the responsible lending requirements uh, for the banks. Um, you know, we're, they're, they're certainly, I mean, they're not throwing money around yet, but it's certainly easier than it no, was 18 months ago. Yeah. Um, rates are still very low. And, you know, I want to buy another um, one this year uh, in Brisbane. So, um, and I'm thinking about Perth, but I'm probably going to do Brisbane, I think. Um, but um, it'll be interesting to see what the process is like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, but I, and I think the other the other thing is you know, we're going, going back to when you said you know, about selling property. You know, I um, I am thinking of in a few years, not yet, but probably in 2024, 25, when the boom should be really going, of I may sell one of my New Zealand properties. I'll sell the worst performing one, um, by which time I should be able to pay off in entirety uh, one of the other ones, at least one of the other ones, probably more so. Um, and so I may do that to just tweak things slightly and just to give me all that extra equity and then lock in um, a load more borrowing capability whilst the banks are happy to lend out uh, yeah. and, and and set myself up for the the crash a few years later so that I can then go back in and go, okay, now I want to buy a couple of places and you said I could borrow this much and blah, 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 blah. Um, so I may do that, um, but that depends slightly on how my other investments go over this next uh, bit of the cycle. And if they do particularly well, then I won't need to. I'll just be able to you know, clear all the debt anyway. Well, that's, so, and that's the thing, I think, with that sort of stuff is that we don't know what the where the market's going to be you know, in another you know, five or six years' time. We hmm. certainly expect them to be a lot higher than where they are, but yeah. exactly where that is, you don't know what the, what the tax legislation is going to be no, or exactly. requirements. And so you, know, you can make those decisions. You can plan for it, but make those decisions when they actually come. Um, which I guess brings me to the question about, um, you know, taxation um, from an international investor's point of view. Um, you know, you must be quite complex um, dealing in different uh, tax jurisdictions to, and the administration side of it, uh, of looking after these properties must be, you know, somewhat of a burden, mustn't it, Jules? Uh, so it's not, not been too bad. Um so the Carbo place has been pretty easy, actually. I just have a very good property manager there. And I was actually in Carbo. Um, so, you know, I went over there and met people. I think and that's the thing. You can, you, it's hard to do that if you don't go. That You've got to go meet people and have a look yeah. and have a talk and, and all that sort of stuff and, uh, and find somebody that you can work with and, and so forth. So that face-to-face contact is... Is, is kind of vitally important, I think. Um, so that's been pretty, I mean, the property manager I have there, she's really good. Um, she just sends me an email saying, oh, hey, this has happened, and, but I was going to do this. And I was like, yep, sweet, that's good. Thank you very much. Um, tax and stuff, you know, I'm a doctor, so I'm rubbish at finances, so I just give it all to my accountant. <laughs> Get him to sort it out. No, I mean, you know, it's, um, it's you just have to, you, you need to give that some thought of how you structure things and, and what you're doing with that. But yeah, it gets, you know, I, everything from that is kept in one file and I give all of it to the accountant and go, here you go, <laughs> and uh, yeah. Yeah, make sure it. I've got a really good trail of everything and, and, and so forth. Um, yeah, I think, you know, when you come to sell, if you're going to sell, that's something that just definitely deserves a bit of thought um, in terms of capital gains and all and all that sort of stuff um, as to how you how you do that and the length of time you're going to keep things. And I think it's it's just like trading that's really important. You you've got to have a plan you know if you don't have a plan then you're just gambling and you've got to have an exit strategy as well and that's really important you know i know this is property but going back cryptos you've got to have an exit strategy for cryptos it's really hard because you know if you're making a lot of money on something well it's hard sometimes to step out of that yeah um yeah. and especially when all the emotion is running and as that second half of the cycle kicks up and all those property shows come on a tee and everyone is buying property and everyone's talking about this and the money they're making 
Um, it, it's hard not to get swept up in that. And the way to, do, to avoid that is to have a, a plan that you've carefully thought out when there is no emotion involved. And you've sat down and you've gone over it a couple of times and you kind of almost hardwire that in so that you don't get caught up in the moment. And, and, you know, you might need to have a plan A and a plan B and a plan C, depending on, you know, what happens with, you know, if your investments go to this or the legislation does that and so forth. But, you know, it's a bit like, again, a bit like trading, you know, I have a trading business plan that I put together for my trading. It's, it's about 70 pages long. Um, it goes through worst case scenarios, you know, because... Yeah. If you're going to do it properly, you, you really need to think about these things. You know, I heard a friend a story about some guy who was trading, and his, his mouse stopped working, and he couldn't get out of his trade. He's trading short-term futures, and he lost fifty-fifty oh, percent of his year's profits because that trade went against it, and he could not get out of it. So, you know, I've got I've got two two mice and two keyboards on my on my desk. Um, <laughs> Because <laughs> I don't want that to happen, you know? And then I've got a backup plan should, you know, the internet go down. I've got a backup plan. Yeah. But you need to think about these things because if you don't, and if something happens like that, then you're going to be in a world of trouble. Um, I think that's one of the, you know, obviously with our counterflux economic cycle action plan, you know, I think that's one of the things from, especially from a property investor, it enables you to mentally rehearse. Yes. Um, you know, different scenarios and, and play it out before it actually occurs yep. so that rather than making um, reactive emotion-based decisions, you can actually have thought it out and, and be very objective when certain things occur. Yeah, in fact, you're, being, you're, you're not being reactive, you're being proactive and you're actually sort of yeah. doing all that before because when, so if this happens, then, then I'm going to do that. Um, and so you're yes. thinking about it and say, okay, so if the economy gets to a point where it does this, then I believe that's a good time to buy. And therefore I'm going to buy, you know, a property mm. and I'm going to buy in, you know, this location because I think of, you know, this, that, and the other, and I'm going to buy this type of property because I believe of this, that, and, th and they can all change depending on the time yeah. and the location and everything else. So there's no, you know, you're not limiting yourself. In fact, I think you're, you're giving yourself even in more options and the more options you have, the more likely you are to make a, a, a wise decision, I think. But I, I think it's really important. Um, we didn't touch on this in the last podcast, but um, probably should have done slightly was that it's, you have to assume 100% responsibility for your yeah. investments and whatever you do. So if you lose money, yeah. that is your fault. Yeah. Nobody else's yeah. fault. You know, if you, ex I don't know, let's say you put it, some money into a fund and that, that fund loses money. Well, who chose that fund? You did. <laughs> Therefore, it's your fault. You know, and as soon as you start to go, oh, well, I would have done this, but if only, you know, if I, da, 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 oh, well, you know, that, this, that sounds like, then you're not taking responsibility. And so, you know, we're all going to make mistakes. If you don't take responsibility from it, you're not going to learn from your mistakes. And therefore, you're more likely to repeat your mistakes. So I think that's a huge part and of it. People sometimes think, People sometimes think that, you know, if you buy, you know, a really good quality um, uh, re residential property that that there'll be no problems. But that's far from the reality, isn't it? That that the longer you have investment properties, you know, things things do go wrong. Things yeah. break, you know, tenants do crazy things. People lose their jobs. Yeah. Um, you, you know, well, you look at, there's look at, all look sorts of things. You know, we, we've had a number of properties um, yeah. where uh, people have, sort of said, you know, I can't afford to, I can't afford to pay the rent this month. Um, mm -hmm. You know, can I, can I, and for all of them, and there's a difference between being taken for a ride versus something, you know, I, I consider myself extremely fortunate and I am very grateful for all the things that I have. 
And, you know, if you hear someone doing it tough and they say, well, I'm not going to be the bastard landlord that goes, no, I'm going to kick you out or something. I, I'm really lucky. I'm really fortunate. I'm really grateful. And so I say, okay, sure. You need a bit of a break. That's fine. No problem. Um, most people are good, I think. And most people are, now, if it happened every month, then there's a point where I'm going to go, okay, that's enough. But, yeah, um, current. you know, your investment should be there to, to kind of make it, they should add positive things to your life, not negative things. So if there's lots of stuff going wrong, well, that should be a, perhaps a thing to get rid of one. Or, um, you know, so, so if, you, if you put things into context as well, you know, there's a month rent that, that maybe I'm not going to get. The guy's lost his job. I think I'm in the more fortunate position because I've got, you know, nine, nine investment properties or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, be grateful for what you've got. Look at it in the overall scheme of things and don't get too stressed about it. And if you find yourself getting really stressed, if it doesn't pass the sleep test, you know, if you can't go to sleep at night because you're worrying about something, then you really shouldn't be in, you shouldn't be in there. You shouldn't be having it. Um, but that again says probably even more about you too, Jules, that, you know, you come across as a very, you know, it's a very relaxed sort of attitude to take. But uh, on the flip side of that, you know, there's quite a calculating side of Jules that has ensured that you've not put yourself in a position that should one property or two properties or even three properties, you know, they not be able to pay the rent that all of a sudden you're on skid row yourself, that you're running so close to the line, um, you know, with your leverage and stuff that, you you know, that there's fat built in, you know, there's cash reserves, et cetera, you know, there's contingencies, et cetera, so that you can always ensure that you can ride through, um, you know, the ups and downs that is uh, being a property investor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's all about controlling your risk, really. It's, uh, it's about taking opportunities, but they've got, they've got to be calculated Mm. opportunities. I mean, this goes back to my poker playing days, you know, you can't win every hand, but what you do is you get the balance of probabilities right and you make smart decisions. And over time, if you're making better decisions than the other person, you're going to make money. Um, and, you know, the, the, the example I often you know, say, you know, give to my wife and then, cause she's a completely different person in terms of risk tolerance to me. Um, if I have aces pre-flop in Texas Holdernesses, then I'm an 80% favorite to win. Okay. I will be shoveling all my money into that pot as fast as I possibly can pre-flop because I know that I've got that I'm going to, I'm going to, now I'm going to lose one in, you know, one in four hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to lose yeah. 20% of the time, but even if I lose, I'm still happy because that guy made a horrendous decision by getting all his money in there. Yeah. And if I could do that every time, time and time again, I'm going to make an awful lot of money doing that. So it doesn't bother me that on that one trade or that one thing I, I lose. That's fine. Um, mm. So this mm. noise going on in the background because the cat's trying to get in because it's raining <laughs> it's clawing i don't know if you can hear that he's just clawing the window like crazy can you give me one second we, i'd say we all need property jewels we all need access to a property yeah he certainly does just uh, give me one second <laughs> you're right right hello again <laughs> That's a classic example of a, um, you know, the, the primal need for shelter, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's two very bedraggled cats just walked in. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, sorry, so where are we? So, yeah, so we're talking about, um, yeah, it's risk management stuff. I mean, the, why am I investing? It goes back to that. What am I doing it for? I'm doing it for um, security for my family. Yeah. Mm. Uh, that's one of my prime reasons for for me for investing. And there are a lot of other ones as well, but that's the, one of the, the really sort of deep underlying ones. Security for my family. 
Well, if I'm involved in an investment, which then puts me at risk that I can't sleep, that means, you know, the, then I'm, it's not meeting my underlying value and goal there. So it's, it's not going to be, it's not a good investment. So I think that's, again, going back to why we said about goals and, and things, you've got to know why you're doing something, you know. I got no problem playing poker against somebody who said, you know, oh, I just want to have a really good fun night and a bit of a gamble. I'm prepared to lose a thousand dollars. That's not how I play poker, but I've got no problem yeah. with somebody else if yep. they know that uh, and they're just having a laugh and they're drinking and they, you know, it's like, great. And I'll take the thousand. Thank you very much. Um, you know, but if that person is there every day trying to win money, but in fact drinking and, you know, making silly decisions, not really working yeah. on their game. Well, then I think, you know, then that's just stupidity really. Um, so there's lots of different reasons for doing things and there's lots of different, uh, lots of different ways to skin a cat. Yeah. You down there. Um, <laughs> but, um, skin a wet cat. <laughs> yeah. A wet cat. Um, and you, yeah, going back to what we you've got to work out what it is you want and how, how you can get there. And I guess that's the thing with property. You know, it's this asset class, and a lot of people have a, quite a narrow view of it, and just go, "Well, I've got to buy this and do it." And like you say, a lot of them will just buy in the same suburb that they live in, or it's yeah. so much more nuanced than that. And there's so many more possibilities. And if you start to look internationally, it just gives you so many more options. So, uh, I, I think it's uh, it's a great asset if done right. But like anything, you can get yeah. it badly wrong as well. And that's where you need to surround yourself with good people. You need to educate yourself. Um, and yeah, you know, Phil and yourselves uh, are good at that. So Jules, if we were, you know, we're being reflective at the moment. Um, if you were to think back, um, over what you've done is there's, I asked number one, what's, if you could go back in time, what's the first thing that you would do when it comes to investing and is there anything that you change? Um, so the first thing I would do for if I if I'm investing is I would sit down and work out why and work out what my end goal is. It's hard to get somewhere if you don't know where you're going. So uh, as specifically as possible. So over time frames, over you know how much I want to make on it, and where does it fit in? So really have a really clear plan of what I'm trying to achieve. Yeah, and yeah. then work out how I'm going to do that. Um, and what was the second part? If you, what would and the second part? If we were going to go back in time, um, is there anything that you change? Yeah, your I would have bought property, property a lot earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Traded your uh, your sports car for a, yeah, for my house and St. Ives, and then I would have had some money. And uh, yeah, I mean, oh, I remember traveling around New Zealand in '94 and being down in Wanaka, and I was like, there's almost nothing there, and you know, there's a paddock would be like. <laughs> 20,000 bucks or something for a paddock. It's like, oh my God, you know, being in Byron Bay in 1990, you know, um, <laughs> just, I mean, I didn't have any money uh, whatsoever at that, that stage, but, you know, it, I didn't have the mindset either. That was the thing. I didn't have money, but I also didn't have the mindset or the knowledge to know what I needed and how to get there. So, you know, I guess what what would I like to change? I would have liked to have changed my my knowledge back then. You know, I wouldn't say it's easy to be safe, you know, well, I'd like, I wish I had a million bucks back in 1980 and I bought some you know, property. But no, I wish I could have changed my knowledge uh, back then. And that would have done me in great stead. 
uh, if I'd had a, another cycle or two to get through, having had the knowledge at the beginning, yeah. you know, that's that's the thing. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going from here to go and sit down with um, a work colleague and friend of mine who uh, we're going to have a coaching conversation about sort of life, the universe, and everything for them because they're going through a few transitional things, and part of that will be finances and and yeah. it's imparting that knowledge. I think is really important now as well um because it is so important it is so important for individuals to uh, to be able to construct a really good life in terms of meeting their goals and doing things that, that that's what the investments are for really you know as we yeah. said before money for money's sake is pointless it's, it's yeah. to achieve what you want to achieve with your life it helps you to do that um, and we all need purpose. Not having purpose has been shown to be extremely bad for you. Um, so work out what your goals are. And property is a, is a fantastic way, I think, of helping you do that. You've got a very specific um, objectives. You've got very specific, you know, property plan, um, you know, really fantastic um, foundation assets, but if I was to give you an extra 50K today to uh, to spend, how would you spend it? Cryptos. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably, yeah, um, and I've got a reason for this, but I, I'd, I'd buy, uh, so, and I wouldn't maybe wouldn't buy them right now on, on today because I think it may pull back further and there'll be a better buying opportunity in the next you know, few weeks. We'll see. It's either going to go up a lot. Uh, um, Bitcoin's either, I think, going to double in the next um, next month or so, or it'll pull back to about the 20,000K mark, in which case I think that'll be a great buying opportunity. And the altcoin. So, um, you know, I've got enough Bitcoin probably that I don't need to um, buy more Bitcoin. Um, and I think there's there's uh, potential gains in some of the altcoin spaces. And there's a couple that I don't have that I would like to buy. So I think if you did that, I'd, I would I would split it actually. I would take probably probably take half of what you gave me and um, just pay down some debt. And I would probably put, I'd probably buy five altcoins um, in 5K packets with the other things. And um, knowing that they could all go to zero, uh, that's fine. You, um, you gave me that money. So there's no downside risk for me, really. Uh, it was something I didn't have before. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and the other stuff, the other will be just to um, yeah, pay down some debt. What about your lovely wife? Surely she gets something, doesn't she? Uh, she's got it. She, she would much rather I pay down the debt. It's <laughs> a win-win. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I love that. Jules, it's been great talking. Is there anything else you'd like to uh, to add? Is there anything we've missed, do you think? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, we could talk about to. these sorts of things for ages. We could. Um, we could. But I think, no, I think we've covered quite a lot. Um I you think, love your job. You love investing. Yeah. What, 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 you know, can you pick one? Which would you prefer? Or are they just? Um, no, I don't think I could actually. I think they're both, um, they're both good for different reasons. Um, mm. And I think uh, my father-in-law, apparently when I was talking to my wife the other night, was laughing about something saying, you know, Jules will never retire. He's always going to be doing something. And that's kind of true. That's what makes yeah. life fun and interesting. Um, but you Absolutely. can change the focus of it and you can do it on your own terms a little bit. Uh, so that's kind of, kind of what I'd like to do. But um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I'm trying to move more into the sort of teaching, mentoring kind of thing. And some of the investment stuff allows me to do that, um, which is which is good. 
Um, but I enjoy the clinical work as well. And it's, you know, that's the backbone of what we do. And it's that dealing with patients and, uh, and then, you know, that's a, that's a real privilege and being able to, uh, have a big effect on someone, um, someone's life when you, when you do that. So you know, that's, that's a really, really good thing. So it's kind of hard to give that up as well. You can get a lot of satisfaction from that. Um, and again, it's not monetary. Um, so there are easier ways to make a living than being a doctor. <laughs> so you kind of got to love what you do. I think if you, if you want to do it for a long time. Uh, well, I think like medicine, like uh, like finance or investing, it, it just it's something that gets under your skin, isn't it? It's yeah. something that just becomes a part of you that um, um, you know you've got to love it. You've yeah. got to yeah, really. And I think really you know, I think there's a difference also between investing and trading as well. Big difference between those two things. Very um, much so. And I think it's important to to know the difference between those. Um, and I think it's easier to be able to invest in the various different asset classes successfully over a long period of time. Uh, because time in itself does help um, versus say trading on a short time period. That's, that's quite hard um, to be successful and quite hard psychologically as well, um, because there's a lot of emotional ups and downs in that time period, which you've got to be able to cope with. Whereas when you're doing uh, investing over a long period of time, there's, those tend to get flattened out somewhat. Um, Absolutely. And, and that's why to me, property is such a fantastic asset class for, those long-term, you know, um, foundation-styled assets yeah, to, to build a portfolio around. It's, it's, uh, it is a quite a forgiving asset class. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that you can do to mitigate a lot of risk within property. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as you put some time on your side, um, and as you said, control your cash flow, then you could do very, very well out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think perhaps the only thing we haven't talked about really is, um, you know, how do you find and surround yourselves with good people that you can trust? Because I think that's really important. Um, yeah, obviously, um, I've introduced you to a number of my junior doctors and um, other people, you know, like Dane and, and things on Count and Flat, because I know you, because I trust you. And I think that's that's almost equally as important in terms of passing on your investment knowledge is, is passing on those contacts of people who um, have have the knowledge, but you can trust and in good people um, with good resources, because that's just so important. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that stops people investing well is uh, is access to that. And I think that's where that's where you know Carl Flack and the Investment Club and everything else and the forecasting uh, seminars and things and, and so forth and uh come into their own with that education it's 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 so important i appreciate the endorsement there jules and actually that's a really interesting point that you make there uh and i think you you're right that a, a lot of people are you know not sure where to turn where to go for help etc um and we should i think i said this last time have you back for a um a podcast to do the, the discussion on um on your international investing but I think maybe you maybe hit on another one that we should maybe cover off, um, you know, is, you know, how do you find uh, good mentors? You know, how do you find people that uh, that you trust, et cetera? Because um, it, as you said, it, it'll make a huge, a huge impact to, um, you know, to, to, to your outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's a bit like how do you find a good doctor as well? Because if, mm. if you're not medical, you kind of just have to believe 
what the doctor yeah. tells you because you don't have the technical expertise to know whether you're being given good advice or yeah, exactly right. the right sort of tests and stuff. You know, for me, I, I know automatically that. And because I'm in that industry, mm. you know, if I, you know, break my leg or you know, injure my leg and I go, oh, I need a really good orthopedic surgeon, I need a really good hand surgeon, or I just go and ask, you know, a couple of colleagues and say, who would you recommend? And, I, and there you go, done. Um, and so I think it it, it, it is really difficult for that because if you if you don't have the technical knowledge the technical expertise um around some of the financial stuff you you kind of have to believe what you're being told it's really hard you've got to find the people who um who you can trust and you know let's face it there's a number of people out there who you can't trust they're 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 there to line their own pockets with your money and not to grow your money and help you grow your money and yeah they can make money off that there's nothing wrong with that but um it, it's a very yeah so it's really it's really hard and i think that that's one of the biggest battles that people face and then they if they don't feel comfortable with that then they're not going to take that first step or investing or or worse perhaps sometimes they do feel comfortable and they take that step and then they get ripped off and that's that's also really bad my father said to me when i was very young um just starting out in, a, in the investment sphere he, he said to me um people change when it comes to money. Oh, totally. And I think that that is so true. And the change can be for the better or the worse. Mm-hmm. Um, it impacts on the way in which they make decisions or don't make decisions, yeah. you know, because of the fear that it invokes or or the greed that it invokes. Um, it's, um, you know, it is, it is, you know, you need to have good support around you. And even like yourself, as you said before, that whilst you're making decisions, you know, you can't go and purchase, um, you know, properties, um, you know, around the world without good help, without yeah, good support yeah, around you, that you need a team. Yeah. You, you, you need a very good team um, that you trust and that you can rely on and that everyone's, you know, got their role to play. Yeah. And it's, it's so true. I mean, when I was um, starting out on the um, Forex trading thing, you know, we demo traded for a while. We simulated traded and then we demo traded and, you know, just paper trading. And then we just started trading the patterns with a really small risk, yep. just like 20 bucks, you know, just, just to, get your head around the yep. software and this and that and, you know, the bits and yep. pieces. And it was amazing the number of people who really struggled when there was money on the line yep. versus when they were just paper trading it, even though it was only 20 bucks, yep. you know, it's like, well, you just go, yep. you can buy a cocktail for that, you know? And it's like, and then they're yeah. like, yeah, but you know, this and that, and just the emotional ups and downs, it just totally, when there's money on the line, it totally changes things. It's, it's really funny. Well, I was going to say, all of a sudden, when there's money on the line, you've got to keep score too, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. But, um, and and people don't, you know, they they do struggle with that, um, you know, not liking to be long. Let's wrap it up there, Jules, because otherwise we could keep just talking all day. And I mean, maybe we might do that one day. We might do an, an extended version. <laughs> <laughs> Jules and death. Jeremy talking finance. Um, but let's wrap it up there. And well, I think we will definitely get back together again with regards to you know how to put a team and 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 select your team because that is a uh, such an important point um you know i've got to give a bit of a shout out to you um or we'll let you plug you you're involved in a podcast yourself aren't you jules uh yeah well that's um yes uh, there's a, a group called on the wards and it's education for junior doctors and medical students and we um we do a range of podcasts on a lot of yeah, variable topics obviously mainly medical topics but um the ones that i've been doing are things like yeah financial wellness well-being um and and decision making coaching and things and the, some of the uh, sort of more soft skills as they're called emotional intelligence and, and other 
aspects like that um, to really just try and uh, help guide some of the juniors through the the, uh, the minefields of career and things, not just purely technical knowledge, but, uh, you know, the career is so much more than that. And, uh, yeah, just trying to pass on a little bit of things that I've learned over over my career with that. I'd say there's a lot of crossover, actually. I mean, not the technical stuff from a financial point of view, but certainly the um, the mindset, the the wellness, um, mindfulness, etc. There's 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 a lot of crossover with that stuff. So yeah, on totally. the awards, look, look look around for it for uh, Jules Wilcox. Jules, it's been awesome having you as usual. Uh, it's always fun to chat. You're such an interesting guy, and you know so many things going on in your life and. Um, you know, you've, you've, you've seen and done an awful amount. Um, it's just quite inspiring. And, and I love the way too, that at the end of the day, you know, it might've been through, um, a bit of dumb luck, but, um, you know, you put together a fantastic, you know, foundation portfolio and you've grown an investment portfolio exactly how you should, you know, starting with the basics and, 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 you know, putting some investment properties out and then spreading around the world. You know, you've, you, you then branch out into stocks, you know, you, you're, you're a currency trader, um, as well as managing, um, you know, uh, the educational stuff, which we love. Obviously, we we're very much onto the education ourselves. I love that you give. Um, and on top of that, as we as being a you know, fantastic uh, doctor, mentor, teacher, um, you're a family man as well. So um, it's lucky you don't have to sleep. I know. It's no wonder I feel tired all the time. Eh? <laughs> I live on coffee. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Jules, it's been awesome, mate. Thank you very much. And thanks for everyone to um, who's joined us today. Um, you know, if you'd like uh, what you hear today, then make sure you tell all your friends about it um, and give us a rating or subscribe, hit the subscribe button. I've been Jeremy Cowan and this, of course, has been Property Australia's favourite obsession. And until next time, let's keep obsessing about property. Any opinions or recommendations expressed should be considered general in nature, as they do not consider your personal objectives or financial circumstances. You should therefore consider these matters yourself before deciding whether the advice is appropriate to you and if you should act upon it. Should advice be sought, please seek an appropriately qualified advisor. Investing may not be appropriate for everyone, as there is inherent risk and the possibility of loss when investing in financial assets, just as there is the possibility of profits. While useful for identifying patterns, History and past performance do not guarantee future performance. Calvin Flack has a commercial relationship with guests appearing on this production. 